Since 1971, Beautio Books has specialized in ornithology and natural history. They're a small, family-owned and operated mail-order bookstore with the largest selection of new, used, and rare birding and ornithology books in the world and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Find field guides, travel guides, ornithology, natural history, humor, even children's books to inspire the next generation's love of nature. Visit beautyobooks.com to find everything you're looking for and ABA members receive 10% off. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm your host, Nate Swick. It is 2022, the year of the burrowing owl, Athena, Cunicularia, Athena, the, the Greek goddess of wisdom, among other things, frequently depicted with a small owl friend. And Cunicularia, this is, this is actually kind of interesting, is from the Latin for burrower or miner. It refers specifically, so far as I can tell, to a rabbit warren. Coniculus pertains to the European rabbit, from which comes the term Coney. Lord of the Rings fans, you know. Keeping rabbits is known as cuniculture from the same root. Both European rabbits and burrowing owls live in holes. There's your connection and a particularly inane piece of trivia. Anyway, it occurs to me that burrowing out is a particularly good choice because regardless of how this pandemic proceeds, we will either be coming out of our burrows or sinking back into them. So it's some good, if inadvertent, relevance. Before we move on to this owl-full episode, I do want to acknowledge the loss of a birding giant, Jerry Ligori, who we featured in an Encore episode early last month, succumbed to ALS at the end of 2021, Jerry was one of the most influential and creative birders, specifically hawk watchers, in North America for, for the many decades that he was active. His books, especially Hawks at a Distance and Hawks from Every Angle, remain exemplary examples of useful group-specific guides. And in addition to all that, as if we needed more, he was a frequent contributor both as a writer and a photographer to ABA publications. And he was as accomplished at explaining how he looked at and identified birds as he was at finding them and identifying them in the first place. You know, maybe it was serendipitous that we reran that episode when we did, but if you skipped it because it was an encore, I'd urge listeners to maybe check it out. It's a nice reminder of the birder that he was and the huge legacy that he will leave. So here we go on with the program. It's time for our Bird of the Year episode. I will share my most memorable burrowing owl story. But first, our 2022 ABA Bird of the Year artist, Christina Ball, whose three paintings of burrowing owls will be featured on the cover of Birding Magazine, randomly assigned to members. We'll talk art. We'll talk owls after this week's, well, truthfully, the last three weeks, Rare Birds. <laughs> This is your Rare Bird Focus for the last part of December 2021 and the very first part of January 2022. The end of December saw a whole new chapter in the stellar sea eagle saga that has gripped birders from Alaska to Texas to eastern Canada. After disappearing from Nova Scotia in November, the bird apparently set its sights south into the lower 48 
turning up in Bristol County, Massachusetts in late December among a flock of bald eagles where it stayed for a couple days before heading back up towards the north. Ten days later, it was discovered once more in Maine, Five Islands, Maine, specifically in Sagahawk County on a tip from a local birder made to a friend of the podcast, Nick Lund. It stayed just into the new year before disappearing again, but there is near endless habitat for an eagle, even one as large as a stellar sea eagle on the coast of Maine. Needless to say, it was a first state record for both Massachusetts and Maine. Other first to note at the end of the year, a model duck in Montgomery County, Maryland represents a first. Incidentally, for those who like trivia, Maryland, Maine, and Massachusetts all had five potential first records in 2021, which along with New York, Quebec, and Texas ties them for the most new birds added in that calendar year. A slaty-backed gull at a landfill in St. John, New Brunswick represents a first for the province of this ever-increasing East Asian species in the east of North America. And as if to further illustrate that point, a slaty-backed gull at a landfill in Horry County, South Carolina is also a first for that state and officially the first first of the new year. Happy New Year list, indeed. Not related to first records, but still noteworthy, we're seeing a small eruption of northern lapwings in the northeast this year, uh, apart from their near-annual visit to Newfoundland. Uh, New Jersey had two of the European plovers, and Connecticut and New York shared one across the Long Island Sound. But most notably, Maryland had one as far south as Queen Anne's County. Those are the highlights in the rare bird world this week. If you want the entire roundup, check out the rare bird alert on Fridays at aba.org slash RBA or join the ABA rare bird alert group on Facebook to get them as soon as they happen. Last month, the ABA officially announced the 2022 ABA bird of the year, which is burrowing owl. And if the responses are any indication, uh, we've got ourselves a good one. The excitement over the owl is no doubt helped along by the exceptional artwork of our Bird of the Year artist, Christina Ball, whose colorful and personable style seems to fit this species like an owl nestled in a subterranean PVC pipe. She is with me to talk about burrowing owls, art, inspiration, all that good stuff. Uh, welcome, Christina. It's a real pleasure to talk to you again. Hey, Nate. I can't believe it's already been you know, almost two weeks is the party. Know, right? So good to see you again. That was that was so fun. I wish you could do it every weekend. I know, I know, right? I think I think part of it was that we are missing human contact, and uh, part of it is that I mean, it's just so fun to to get together with a lot of birders and talk birds, and uh, I don't know, celebrate whatever whatever we got to celebrate. And I think a burrowing owl, pretty good thing to celebrate. Oh yeah, burrowing owls are definitely a good thing to celebrate. I mean, birders always have good things to celebrate, but when you add a burrowing owl, it's just yeah. like over the top. Instant party. Yep, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so like, how excited were you when you were asked to be the artist and, uh, and when you were asked to paint some burrowing owls for us? Oh man, like I said during the reveal, Jeff Gordon will never know how in danger his eardrums <laughs> were. I mean, it took so much self-control not to start flipping out right then and there on the phone, yeah. but I did it. I was professional for at least 30 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. It's that professionalism that we, that we ask of all our artists. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no screaming into the phone. That's right. Well, presidents. Actually, you know, it, it is, I mean, it is, that is sort of what we want from our bird of the year artists, like that sort of excitement to, to work with us, to paint the, the cover art. And I think, you know, one of the things that is so special about this 2022 bird of the year is that so many of us in the birding community know you from your work uh, you are a regular presence at a lot of the the bird festivals around the around the continent, 
Like, uh, it's, it's really great, you know, to have someone that's just so stoked about about <laughs> the bird of the year and the art and all that stuff. Oh, man. Well, that's that's great to hear because I am definitely really stoked. And like you said, <laughs> one of the cool things is that already it's given me this fantastic opportunity to reconnect yeah. with people. I'm missing a lot since I, mm-hmm. I do. I hear that. I do have I do feel like getting to go around and see everybody at bird festivals and such is just such a, a great way to feel like I'm having a like a holiday all year long and, and mm-hmm. being with family. And man, what a void. Yeah. Back to the bird. You know, for the yes, first time, we have uh, three pieces of cover art for Birding Magazine. How did you approach each of these? Well, I've been fortunate to be able to see burrowing owls in two out of the three uh, regions that, I've, that I actually ended up painting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I knew it was definitely going to be, uh, I, I knew from the start that we were going to be uh, wanting to depict these different regions. I mean, each one adds its own its own flair to the burrowing owl uh, experience, in my opinion. Like, it's so different to see a burrowing owl in Florida on a golf course than in the majestic <laughs> Badlands with bison coming up over the hill. So right. that right there was a was a huge uh, a, a huge thing that had to be separate into its own its own thing. But then, other than that, it was really just looking back at my memories of seeing these owls in these in these different locations and imagining how hilarious it would be to see them on the golf courses in Florida <laughs> and and just you know going from there. Uh, you know, personal experiences, what we, we love best as birders. Yeah. Yeah. So what have your experiences been with, with burrowing owls? My first burrowing owls, uh, I saw in the Badlands in South Dakota and I worked really hard for them. I must've looked through like mm-hmm. a bajillion prairie dog holes before I finally saw one. Um, then in Arizona, I got to see them, uh, hopping around on some, on some of those prickly pear, cac- prickly pear cactus, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. While I was out there uh, for conference, my absolute favorite burrowing owl experience was actually during the summer of, of COVID, July 2020. My partner and I were uh, moving across the country and we thought, you know, we'd be alone because of COVID and we thought that people would be <laughs> right. not outside. And, and it turns out that people were everywhere and it was really <laughs> stressful. Uh, but there was one morning in the Badlands where we were looking for burrowing owls, couldn't find them. Uh, and then all of a sudden we see this huge herd of bison come up over the hill, like this scene in the Lion King. Like I thought I was going to hear boss, Savenya, <laughs> like coming out. And, and then we noticed that all these animals were running around at their feet. And all of a sudden we noticed that the bison had actually kicked up these burrowing owls. Like the, <laughs> the energy of their walk had been the thing that finally flushed them. And so we got to watch these burrowing owl chicks and the parent feeding them for like an hour, maybe 10 feet away. And that was the true inspiration for the, for the Badlands burrowing beggars, because that was just the cool, like that was one of my coolest birding experiences ever. And it just happened to yeah. be with burrowing owls. It is pretty wild when you, when you think, when I think about my own experiences of burrowing owls, like it is such a difference to see them out West where you're usually like, it's a scope view. You're on some dusty road in the middle of nowhere and you're kind of panning this prairie dog town and hopefully you'll find like an owl shaped lump <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah. like sitting on top of a, a mound or something. And then you go to Florida and, you know, the famous, you know, Gulf Coast burrowing owls. And they're just like right, like literally maybe 15 feet from you kind of poking their holes out of these quasi fake gopher tortoise burrows uh, that are usually made of PVC pipes. Um, it's, it's a totally different experience. And uh, I think you've done a really fantastic job kind of, uh, you know, illustrating those those two different sides, I guess, for lack of a better word of burrowing owl it's it's kind of a neat bird for that for that reason awesome do you do you like painting owls i imagine owls are kind of fun to do just because they have faces and you can kind of experiment 
with that. Oh yeah. Owls are great. I mean, they're one of those birds that everyone likes them so much that mm-hmm. I, I know when I paint them, it's just going to be fun. Even even people I know who don't necessarily go birding. I, I do know some people who don't bird. Um, they love, they love owls. So. Not enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everyone loves owls. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Their face. The interesting thing about owls is that their face, I think their faces are one of the hardest groups of birds to, to get right. Uh, hmm. There's the facial structure just because, you know, their eyes are so big and, and you can't really mess with the eyes in a, right in a drawing, you know, people recognize it immediately because everyone goes straight to the eyes. So I do know that when I'm going to paint an owl, uh, the stakes are a lot higher because a, everyone's going to recognize it and B, yeah. Uh, if it, if it doesn't look right, it's obvious. Um, but because they have such fantastic faces when you get it right, it's like, yes, this is awesome. Look how awesome this owl is. <laughs> yeah. You, you really got to experiment, uh, and play around with the faces of the burrowing owls on these, uh, on these pictures. Like where, where did you draw inspiration from these? They are so human-like. Oh man. Well, the burrowing owls and I mean, they're the best owl for expressions. <laughs> I remember <when> I first <laughs> discovered them. Uh, when I was just, you know, a big baby birder and I was Googling different owls and I saw the one that looks like it just needs coffee. And I was like, how You're is right. this real? Yeah. Like, how are Classic you not photoshopped? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I actually, I joke about burrowing owl faces all the time, particularly with, with kids I teach. And it's like, oh, well, this is like the, I'm grumpy owl. This is the, <laughs> I need more sleep owl. This is the, I don't know what you just said owl. So when yeah. I was, um, it, when I was thinking of uh, expressions for these owls for the bird of the year owls, I actually thought about a lot of people I know personally to draw inspiration for their faces, depending on the mood I wanted to depict. And <laughs> one of them in particular, I based on my sister, who is like the total opposite of me. She she likes to go to the mall. Um, she wouldn't be caught dead with with mud on her. Um, <laughs> and she tries to talk to me about her Tory Burch shoes, and I try to talk to her about you know like insects getting eaten by a sparrow or. And the one in the Arizona is actually the two expressions we make when we're trying to have a conversation. <laughs> it's very accurate. Yeah, that's right. And one of them got turned into a sticker and that's the sticker I have on my phone. Oh my so God. When I told her that, that yeah. she just was like, you're kidding me. Everyone <laughs> in the bird world's going to see my expression. Right. Everyone's like, going to yes. know. Everyone's going to know. <laughs> yep. Yep. She's actually pretty pleased. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, in the last couple of years, uh, we've, in, for the bird of the year art, we've sort of gotten away from that classic you know, field guide, realistic style of cover bird into something that I guess is a little more, I don't know, arty. Um, and that involves artists who are maybe more in the sort of fine art world than the bird art world. Not that there isn't a lot of crossover, but uh, you, you're the first that I think is sort of credibly in both, both worlds. Um, how, do you, how do you approach a painting of a bird like this? Uh, and what do you see? And what do you want the finished product to, to be like? So this opportunity to do these birds of the year was, I, I was relieved to that it would, it would be something that would fit right into the kind of art I do based on the trajectory the bird of the art, bird art of the year art has been taking yeah. over the past few years. Like I knew there was that room uh, to deviate from, you know, the field guide kind of illustrations, like the beautiful work of Julie Zikafus or Raphael mm-hmm. Galvez. Like I aspire to be able to do detailed work that detailed, but that's just, that's just not my wheelhouse at this point in life. <laughs> right. And I, I also just love uh, using my paintings as a way to tell personal stories. So they do deviate mm-hmm. um, from reality. Um, but it's really important to me that the bird is still identifiable. That's always important. Uh, so this was a great opportunity to have some of my crazy colors and, and, you know, especially for the owls, like I could totally let go of complete realism and let them have that, uh, yeah. those faces and those personalities. Um, 
and I, I felt that was okay because of the precedent sent, you know, by last year's Papillion Woodpecker, the Cedar Waxwing, mm-hmm. um, while still keeping in line with some of the other older, uh, more anatomically recognizable. Not that the other ones weren't anatomically recognizable, but you know what I mean. Yeah, more there's certainly you know, like artistic elements that yeah, sort of yeah. take center stage in some of the more some of the recent ones that are that are different than say, and, and that's not like a slight to Rafa Galvez or. Julissa Caboose or Andrew oh, God, no, or any of the her. other amazing bird of the year they're artists like the gods had. of bird art yeah yeah I know they're fantastic for a reason and um but you know I think that there's room particularly for this to kind of go off the, that path a little bit especially with burrowing owls yeah yeah it's always burrowing owls seem to like kind of be the perfect combination of uh Christina Ball art and uh you know that sort of birdie bird field guide sort of sort of style it's like the the perfect bird for you honestly <laughs> oh man when jeff said it was the burrowing owl like the, there was always this, there was this moment of like okay any bird will be amazing please <laughs> let it be one that i can do like well <laughs> i was like oh yeah. okay we're gonna be fine like it's a burrowing owl thank, yeah. thank god thank the bird thank the bird gods yes yeah how did your how did your own art sort of um evolve you know, when I was in college, I, when I first started, I definitely thought I was going to be like, you know, I, I aspired to be the next like Ken Kaufman or the next David Sibley. Like I wanted to do perfect, anatomically correct birds. But I went to Bard College where they have a very, Bard College is this wonderful land of crazy hipsters and thinking that's all over the place. And uh, there was this definite uh, distinction between you know, uh, what's more illustration and what's more mm-hmm. fine art. And while, you know, each to each their own, um, basically the, the gist was, you know, I'd have to do something besides just illustration, you know, to do well in my classes, which turned out to be a really great thing because it pushed me in all kinds of directions. And it was yeah. really frustrating at times because I didn't know how to break out of a more right. uh, tight mold. Was, there was definitely this moment where my frustration about the whole thing manifested itself for the first time in the art I was trying to do. And in mm-hmm. realizing that moment of, of transitioning from just trying to render the thing in front of me versus accessing my own feelings about it, mm-hmm. uh, that I think was the moment of, of when it really changed. Um, yeah. Letting go of control. It's actually kind of some, there's lots of life lessons to be learned. You know, letting <laughs> go of control, accepting it's not going to be perfect, like accepting yeah. my own feelings about whatever I was doing really translated into a much, I really love the experience of just letting go of that drive for perfection and just trying to tell a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really fun. Like I do like all kinds of kinds of just like sometimes dancing around my paintings and I've got spray bottles and all kinds of loose stuff that just makes it like not stressful. <laughs> There's no stress yeah. anymore, which is great. Yeah. Except for bird of the year time. That was a little stressful just because it was bird <laughs> of the year. But that's a different story. Can you talk a little bit about your process? Like what, uh, what do you, pref- how do you prefer to make a painting? I've got a pretty, I've got a pretty straightforward process at this point. Um, see the bird. Got to see the bird <laughs> yeah, first. That helps, sir. Um, you sure. know, if I don't, haven't seen the bird, then it's, I got to just imagine what it feels like to see the bird based on birds that are similar that I've seen. So got to see the bird. Then I draw the bird based on my memory, my, my photos from seeing the bird. Um, then I, I use this India ink to outline everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause that way there's this little lip of, I call it like the wall over the, all the lines so that when I go crazy with watercolors and liquid inks, it doesn't all become a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I kind of go from there. I kind of feel out how it's going. I have paper towels on hand. Like I said, spray bottles, 
lots and lots of brushes all over the place. And it becomes this very, very messy, <laughs> messy uh, experimental uh, zone. Um, as I, and then I have to, as I try to like bring out the bird and then sort of move the, the rest of the area around it into a recognizable landscape. It's really cool. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever, uh, if you've ever been running. There's that runner's high when you are in the zone and you know what's happening. I, I, I run, but uh, I don't know that I've ever actually felt the runner's high, but um, I, I, I see where you're going with this. Okay, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like that when it's when it's all working out. Yeah. It's really addicting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, what medium do you, prefer to, do you prefer to work in? So it's back when I was starting, it was yeah. all colored pencils all the time because yeah. you get so detailed with those. Mm-hmm. But once I learned how to work more loosely, now it's all watercolor all the time with some mm. colored pencils for, for fun. I use watercolor, India ink, um, alcohol inks and gouache almost exclusively nowadays. So who are some of the artists, some of the bird artists kind of working in the, in the birding world that you are really impressed by or that whose work you feel like inspires your own? Oh man, that's, that's such a great question. And honestly, being me, I get to meet so many bird artists every mm-hmm. time I go to festivals that I'm constantly being inspired. Like, whoa, you're all so cool. Um, but I'd have to say there's, you know, obviously some that really got me excited about bird art in the beginning and who really, really uh, make an impact. Uh, Julie Zikafus is kind of oh, like my fantastic. Yeah. bird art hero. When I read her books for the first time, I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly what I want to do with my life. Like, this, is, <laughs> this is the job. Because, you know, in high school, there's no, when you're doing those career aptitudes. That's right. Profiles, there's no bird artist. Yeah, that's, uh, that's not no a thing. <laughs> that's not a thing they can do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Julie Zickfoos, Catherine Hamilton. I love yeah, her work. I like I mean, her work a lot too. Everyone wants to be Catherine Hamilton. Her art's just amazing. It's so precise. And it, and I think the kind of half-finished, half-on kind of stuff that she does, I don't know, it's really evocative. I, I like it quite a bit. Yeah, she has this great mix of, uh, it's so realistic, but also so ethereal in a way. Yeah. It's got yeah, a lot sure. of emotion in it. I don't, yeah, it's, it's just great. Um, and then I also really like my friend Marie Rust, her work. Mm-hmm. Is like the polar opposite of mine. It's so detailed. I think she must spend like thirty billion hours on each painting. I don't know how she does it, <laughs> but um, but yes, yeah, seeing that kind of work, I just like okay, I can do that too. Like I can spend that much time. Like I can look and see all those details. Love her work. And then uh, Lori Taylor mm-hmm. is also this fantastic artist. She reminds me of like what I could be when I grow up. Like she's just got all this nature stuff going on. It's all over the place. And then um, this other woman I know, Gail Stanek, she just has like the most incredible uh, bird art studio and practice. It's just like, I get in there and I'm just like, okay, I need to spend more time doing this all the time. And I think having people who you, who's not just their work, but also their, the way they live their mm-hmm. lives as these non-traditional career paths art people like it's really great to be able to be around that it's not yeah. always easy having a job that <laughs> that no one's ever heard of yes no um, I hear you. yeah so so being able to say like okay people have done it like i can do it too it's mm-hmm. like such a gift yeah for sure um so your, your website is drawing ten thousand birds that's where you've put a lot of your uh out of your work um how how's that going are you how far along are you on uh towards ten thousand birds all right, so I'm actually considering <laughs> where I am in life. I feel like I'm right on track. So oh, I've nice, seen, good. I, I'm almost done. I decide by the end of today, by by 2022, I would know exactly how many birds in my life are on my life list. I think I'm up to 1,171. Okay, um, all right. After Moving like going along. through all my notes from Panama, 
which is pretty great. And I've drawn about 500 something. My plan is to see as many as possible while I can still, you know, sprint up hills and, mm-hmm. you know, spelunk down mountains. And that way, when I'm older and can just sit around all day, I'll, I've seen them all so I can draw then them you all. Can, then you can draw them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Might as well. Yeah. <laughs> knock and see them all first and then, you know, draw as many as I can yeah, while running around like yep. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um. So other than other than owls, obviously, what are your favorite birds to to paint? I love painting colorful birds, which I know it sounds like a cop out. Um, it makes but sense I do for love color. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but I mean, really, I love painting vultures uh, because that's there's just something to be said about painting your favorite birds. Uh, so I always get really excited when I'm painting vultures, uh, turkey vultures, and California condors. I think are the most epic, awesome, beautiful birds, despite their appearance, which is not exactly what everyone would deem to be gloriously beautiful. <laughs> but I just think they're gorgeous. The birding world is is slowly sort of opening up. Fingers crossed that Omicron is a is a passing pandemic that it ends as quickly as it began. Fingers crossed. Um, yes. Are you going to be uh, doing a lot of bird festivals in 2022? Are you excited to to get out and, on the road again? Oh man, that's that's. I think excited is is an understatement. <laughs> I cannot wait. I'm just sort of you know. Well, okay, I'm not twiddling my thumbs waiting for Space Coast. That's a total, that's a total lie. I'm frantically painting because I have no <laughs> stuff left after the end of, of Texas and Cape May from this year. But I cannot wait for Space Coast. That's going to be so much fun. I'm giving my first ever keynote there. I cannot nice. wait. Yeah, very good. Um, I mean, this is going to be the busiest year of my whole entire life. Perfect. Um, I'm doing all the festivals I usually done. I've added uh, San Diego. I'm thinking of adding Southeast Arizona. Uh yeah, I just can't wait. Biggest week should hopefully be get live again this year. And yep. you just give everyone like the biggest hug in American birding. I know. Just can't wait. Yeah. And I'm going to try and be at a, at a couple of those this year as well. Um, I'm really excited for it. Um, and you know, funny, funny, you know, listeners may not know that, uh, for the last, the last two in-person biggest week in American birdings, Christina and I were actually put together on field trips. I don't know whether that was on purpose or whatever, but it's always nice to, uh, to chat with someone who I've spent actual time in the field with. It's very cool. That's right. You know, it's, they all kind of blur together, but that was where we saw that piping plover. And yeah, that's right. It was the right. first time I went to Michigan. Oh my gosh, yeah. that seems like a lifetime ago now. But yeah, that was a great day. That was a really good day. It was kind of nasty, day. if I remember right. The weather it wasn't was great, nasty. but we did get, uh, yeah, we went up to, uh, what is that place in Michigan that's like the, the famous uh, bird place in, in Southeast Michigan. I, I don't even know, but it, you got my Michigan list up over a hundred, which was really nice. Oh, wow. That would, I didn't even know that. That makes day. it even better day. It was a good day. Piping plover yeah. was a good bird. Yeah, that for was sure. a great bird. I pictured that bird. <laughs> yeah, I think it might too. Like out of the front window of the, the van we were in. Yes. 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 Oh, <laughs> such a great day. I cannot wait to go back to guiding. And yeah, I, that, that's something we have. I haven't done at any festival yeah. in so long that. Do you, do you get any inspiration from your art from being around birders as opposed to being around birds? Oh yeah, one of the coolest parts of my job is just getting to talk to people about birds who mm-hmm. want to talk to me about birds, which yeah. is which is great. I mean, most of what I do when I'm standing there is, is ask people what they've seen because you know I'm standing there, so I can't be out there seeing things. Right. It's like yeah. I'll live vicariously through you, <laughs> and they come back with amazing stories. And even though I'm not going to go necessarily paint someone else's story, like that feeling they have, mm-hmm. or like the excitement about seeing a bird, it, it it you know it sticks with you. Yeah. Yeah, can't, it can't help it. Do you get ideas for species that you want to paint based on stories that people have told you? I do. I definitely do. And some people come out upright, outright, and uh, just are like, "You need to paint this thing." And I'm like, "That's a really good idea." And they give me a laundry list of reasons why, and I'm like, "You didn't really need to convince me, but, but yeah, that's helpful." Um, 
yeah, sometimes I, I've seen so many birds at this point that it's hard to prioritize who gets painted first. So if a, right. another human being comes up and, uh, you know, gives me that priority, then it, it kind of helps me pick out, you know, which one is going to go next. <laughs> yeah, the, the recency bias a little bit, but it'll take it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I feel the same way. Um, people come up to me with ideas for for podcasts or people that I should talk to. And I don't know, like as a creative person that also kind of feels like a deadline, like I do have stuff that you have to constantly be putting out. It is it is nice to get like ideas. It is nice to kind of short circuit your own, you know, thoughts about what you want to do next to have someone else kind of come in and say, hey, here's an idea. And so a lot of times it's a it's a way to you can just run with it. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Thanks. yeah, right. So the short story is, if you have an idea for a bird that you want uh, painted, uh, find Christina at a festival and uh, let her know. She yeah. may have already painted it. Yeah, and come find me anyway, just because I really miss talking to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Christina Ball is our 2022 ABA Bird of the Year artist. Her three painting series of Burrowing Owl will be on the cover of the first issue of Birding Magazine in 2022. So be on the lookout for that. There's also stickers in there uh, with a uh, little art based on her, her cover drawings. Um, if, if you're not let, yet a member, now's a great time to do it because you will get those paintings. You will get those stickers. You get all the 20 cool 2022 bird of the year stuff. And of course, you know, look for Christina at all your bird festivals in 2022 and, and onward. She's a, she's a regular bird festival person. Uh, we certainly enjoy uh, crossing paths with her. Uh, whenever we do that. Uh, Christina, thank you so much. Congratulations on the art. It's really fantastic. You've done a great job. Uh, I'm looking forward to celebrating Burrowing Owl in 2022 uh, with you. Thanks so much, Nate. It was great talking to you. Uh, it was great to be able to celebrate the Burrowing Owl. And I yeah. just can't wait for this year. It's going to be so good. It'll be awesome. According to my eBird life observations, I have seen Burrowing Owls on five occasions. Twice in Cape Coral, Florida, about 10 years apart. Once in Texas at a Rio Grande Valley birding festival. Once in my home state of North Carolina, a vagrant bird on an uninhabited island near Wrightsville Beach. We stood on the north side of a narrow inlet and scoped across to the other side. I have a couple photos in which it looks like a large russet potato sitting on a rock. But the observation I'm going to talk about here was not actually even in the ABA area. It was in Aruba a dry desert island in the South Caribbean just north of Venezuela that is mostly known for its inclusion in what is arguably the Beach Boys' worst song. It's also the windiest place I've ever been in my life. I was there with my wife's family on one of those timeshare resort things. We usually went to Florida. We went to Aruba for a change. I was excited because I had birded a lot in Florida, and this this new place offered the potential for some new birds, and I wanted to take at least one day to travel beyond the immediate properties of the resort we were at. Aruba is not a big island. You can see the whole thing in a day if you want. And while the trees around the resort had plenty of bare-eyed pigeons and Venezuelan trupials and the endemic subspecies of brown-throated parakeet, very cool stuff, I wanted to see more. Before we traveled, I had hopped onto the Birding Pals website. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It is a site where you can contact birders from different parts of the world for information or to see if they'll take you out for a day. I just needed half a day, but just as well, there was only one birding pal on the entire island of Aruba, Olinda Rasman. So we got in touch. She said she'd take me to a few good spots. We made plans and met at a spot near the resort. Uh, the place we met was a little salt lagoon that I would never have found on my own. 
I got there early and I was watching the flamingos and spoonbills and various wading birds when Olinda arrived. I would not have pegged her as a birder just from looking at her. She stepped out of her car in this flowing pastel orange outfit, massive sunglasses, big white broad brimmed sun hat that she was holding to her head with some difficulty in the wind. She looked like one of those ladies who had just disembarked from the cruise ships for a day enjoying the souvenir shops in Orangestad. No binoculars at all. Naked eye only. I was a little taken aback. At the time, I certainly had in my head an idea what a birder looked like, and she wasn't it. But she knew where to go. So with her expert direction, we traveled from spot to spot, a lot of them sort of out of the way, racked up a tidy little list for the morning full of birds that I wouldn't have seen or even known where to find otherwise. We had a nice mix of waterfowl at a pond behind a golf course with white-cheeked pintail and Caribbean coot, which at the time hadn't yet been lumped with American coot. We spent some time looking for the two near-endemic hummingbirds, but it was particularly windy that day and we didn't have a ton of luck. At the end of the day, at the end of the morning, we went to this dry lagoon for a burrowing owl. And we found it pretty easily, a fussy-looking individual at the entrance of its hole, staring at us with a particularly weary look on its face. I didn't realize until relatively recently that this was apparently an endemic subspecies of burrowing owl, which has between 18 and 22 named subspecies, depending on where you look. Arubensis, the Aruba one being one of them. Though to my eyes, it looked pretty much like the burrowing owls I had seen in Texas and Florida. Apparently not everyone agrees that all these subspecies are necessary. We watched it for a while. I got photos. Put a link in the show notes if you like. The sun was getting high. The wind was whipping up and Alinda stood there patiently fanning herself with her massive hat. And so we ended up heading back. I filled up her car with gas, bought her lunch. Job done. At the end of the day, the burrowing owl was very much the highlight of the morning, as they almost always are if you see one. And I guess that's my point. It's, it's one of the reasons why I think people have gotten, have really gotten behind this bird of the year. Just about every observation you have of a burrowing owl is a memorable one. So that's my story. Not terribly exciting, I know. But if you have a burrowing owl story that you'd like to share, record it into your phone's voice message app and send it to me at podcast.aba.org. I'd be happy to include it in a future episode, uh, as we have done for birds of the year in the past. And if you find yourself in Aruba, as I did, you can contact Alinda Rasmond, as far as I know. She's still down there. She definitely knows where the birds are. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. You can support this podcast and all of our free resources for birders by supporting the ABA with your membership. There are many benefits like magazines, discounts to partners, opportunities to travel with us, a lot of good stuff going on. You can get information at aba.org slash join. It has been three weeks since I've done shout outs, so please bear with me because I've got quite a few. <clears throat> Here we go. Angie Daly and family of Chicago, Illinois, Peter Rapetti and family of Durham, North Carolina, Ross Bartholomew and the Bartholomew household of American Fork, Utah, Bridget Dunnigan and the Dunnigans of Edgartown, Massachusetts, William Ramirez Watson of Los Angeles, California, Maria Mistovich of Beaver Creek, Ohio, Patrick Brennan and family of Glen Rock, New Jersey, Christian Nunez of Longmont, Colorado, Don Perfata of Bozeman, Montana, Violet, 
Benjamin, Amy, and Stella Romney of Burley, Idaho, Tiana Blaschak of Mount Shasta, California, Dan Stakely, and the Stakeleys of Rochester, Minnesota, Jeff Snyder, and the Snyder family of Riverdale, Maryland, Susan Jones of Decatur, Georgia, Samuel Randall and the Randalls of Houston, Texas, Cindy Ann Bowers of Green Cove Springs, Florida, Eric Dyke of Lawrence, Kansas, Matthew Ratcliffe and the Ratcliffs of Mount Laurel, New Jersey, and Liz and Zach Asphodel of St. Cloud, Minnesota. Whew. That's a lot of you, all of whom recently joined the ABA and noted this podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much. It really does mean a lot to see so many names on the list week after week. Technical production is by John Lowry, who wonders whether a burrowing owl seen from a car counts as Athena vehicularia, or maybe one seen from a cable car as Athena funicularia. Additional hook was from David Hartley and Greg Neese, who appreciate all the burrowing owl etymology talk, which they refer to as Athena cross-curricularia. Everyone can find us online at aba.org, on social media, most everywhere as American Birding Association, and on Twitter as ABA. I know some folks, you know, like to do that lifer dance when they see a new bird. And just so you know, if it is a burrowing owl, it's officially called Athena gesticularia. Questions, comments can come to podcast at aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thank you for listening. Stay healthy, everybody. Till next week.